Pastor John here. Welcome to our broadcast as we come to the middle of our series in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We find the primary message John has for the church, and it's the answer to the question posed in the series title, What's Love Got to Do With It? Let's find that answer in the message. Ah, but if y'all don't mind, would you stand as we read this? If you don't feel like standing, that's okay, but I want us to read this together, uh, Article 1 of our Statement of Faith, and it starts out titled, God, great place to start. Okay. We believe in one God, creator of all things, holy, infinitely perfect, and eternally existing in a loving unity of three equally divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Having limitless knowledge and sovereign power, God has graciously purposed from eternity to redeem a people for himself and to make all things new for his own glory. Amen. You may be seated. Pastor. Thank you, John. I'd like you to turn to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 11 through 18. Let me read this passage for you. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in the word, or talk, but indeed, and in truth, the word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. You know, when when I I chose the title for this series, I I didn't anticipate that when I got to the middle of the series, which I think is the main message, that Tina Turner would pass away. But she died this week. She's eighty-three years old. Uh, she, an incredible woman had an incredibly abusive relationship for the first half of her life, um, turned to Buddhism uh, halfway through and removed herself from that relationship. But one of the songs that she's noted for is What's Love Got to Do With It? You know, it, it, it's kind of a sad song. Um, and I don't know if she ever got the answer to her question. But I do believe that the Apostle John is asking the same question in his first letter to the church. So he's been railing on false teachers, and last week we kind of took a look at describing how true believers should be living. They should be living in purity and holiness and in righteousness, not perfectly, but, but practicing those things, working at them, consciously working at them. 
And he, and he touched on love in, in that passage, just kind of throwing it in there right at the end of the passage, if you remember it correctly, in, in verse 10. And it was one of the evidences that, that we have some desire to live like Christ. Let me read 1 John 3.10 for you. By this is it, is it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now that, that kind of slipped in there. And I maintain that this love that he's talking about here, into which John is about to go profoundly deeper, is the main message of 1 John. So, I've even chosen the title that alludes to it. What has love got to do with it? So I sent out notes last night for the structure of 1 John. And if you'd like a copy, we've got some copies back here. Raise your hand. One of the deacons will bring them to you. And what it shows is that loving one another is the main point of John's letter. And as we go through this short passage today, I think you'll agree with me. If not, send me a note. So uh, this sermon is called The Message, uh, mostly because of that, that's what John calls this letter, uh, The Message. And so this is part six of our ongoing series. And in this passage, we're going to find two guidelines for love. We'll see an exhortation to love in verses 11 through 15. And then we'll see the extent of that love that we're exhorted to in verses 16 through 18. So let's take a look at John's exhortation to love, starting in verse 11. He says, very clearly, for this, this is the message. Now, notice the, the word for. Now, if we're reading carefully, we're going to go back and see what he's talking about. He, he's made some kind of point, and he, wants, he, and, and he wants us to take that into consideration in this message that he's going to reveal to us. It points back to the previous passage. It's as if John is saying, if you're a believer, and this is what the other passage was about, if you're practicing righteousness, if you're trying to live a holy life, if you're a believer, there's a message here. And then he says, that you've heard from the beginning. He keeps on using that word. Which beginning are we talking about? So, is he talking about the beginning of everything? He's talking about the beginning of Jesus taking on flesh, the, the incarnation, Jesus' arrival. Now, we'll get to that in just a moment, but, but let's get back to this message. What is the message that John's trying to convey here? That we should love one another. Now, the we here is John talking to his readers. He's talking about the church, loving one another, all of it. But we need to be careful not to limit our love to just the members of the church because Scripture tells us to love our enemies. There's no religion in the world that tells us to do that, except God's. John's telling us that this needs to start with the church. He says it's been the message from the beginning. So again, which beginning are we talking about? Well, the next verse tells us. Verse 12, he said, we should not be like who? Cain. Cain. Cain? Who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So the message 
that John's talking about, this message of love, goes all the way back to Cain, Genesis 4. But back then, it came in the form of a lesson. It wasn't delineated. It wasn't clearly written out. John reiterates the lesson we should learn from Cain and Abel. Don't be like Cain, who let his anger control him, who allowed jealousy to lead him to commit murder, who murdered because he was unrighteous, who hated Abel because Abel was righteous. See, it wasn't about the sacrifices. It wasn't about the type of sacrifice. It was about Cain's guilt, feeling unrighteous, comparing himself to his brother. See, there's a hidden metaphor here. And we kind of have to make that leap. Cain is the world. And Abel is God's children. Two types of people in the world. Those who know Jesus and those who need Jesus. So in verse 13, John says, Do not be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. They hate us because we don't fit well. At least we shouldn't fit well. We shouldn't be trying to fit well. Because, well, because we've been changed. We've been transformed from something that the world was into something that God wants us to be. Verse 14, John says, we know that we've passed out of death into life. So there, there, we, we know that this change has occurred we know that we've gone from the most horrible of, of all existences, dead, to the most glorious of all existences, life, life in Christ. So the transformation is there, and we know that because, John says, we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Now, John picks up on this theme. I mean, it's been floating through this letter, but he picks up on it in his gospel as well. In uh, the gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 35, he says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. By what? By what church we go to? By where, where we live, by our jobs, by our kids, by our cars, by our status, by what translation we use, by the way we're baptized, does that determine whether or not we're his disciples? By our politics? No. He says, if you have love for one another. John sets the tone in his gospel and then develops a bit further in his letter. And he does it by repeating something Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. This isn't new to John. He, 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 Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount that getting angry at someone instead of loving them has some serious ramifications. Matthew 5, verse 22, Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. That's tough. I'll tell you why it's tough. 
I get angry every day. Am I guilty of murder every day? Hold on to that thought. Hold on to that thought. Because I know now you guys get angry. Right? John gives some clarification in his version of that verse back in Matthew, in verse 15 of 1 John 3. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, now we need to be careful. We need to be really careful because this can come across as incredibly judgmental. If I'm angry, I must not be saved. That's kind of where we go. But that's not what's happening here. None of this is telling us that those flashes of anger that we get from time to time mean that we're not saved. But there is a difference because we've had this transformation. Those who are not saved have no way of dealing with their anger. And we've seen it in them. It just continues to build and continues to stoke and continues to flow from them. But we, brothers and sisters, God has granted a gift to us that allows us to deal with those flashes of anger. It's called repentance. It's a gift he's given us that washes that sin away. So we should use it when we become angry. Now, I've got to tell you something. My problem is I don't want to. I like being angry. I like my stomach being upset and not sleeping at night and having these things going over and over and over again in my head. And I, I, just, I just wallow in that stuff. Sooner or later, the Holy Spirit says, when are you going to come to your senses? You're acting like an idiot. <laughs> and, 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 you know, there's just this whisper in your ear that I didn't design you to be this. Love is supposed to be flowing from you. Now, I can beat myself up over that. Or I can repent. I can repent. Father, forgive me. Have mercy on me. I'm but a poor sinner. You know, i got to be honest with you. I, I think those, those things that creep up like this are just our reminders that we're not quite perfect yet. That God, God's saying, you know, you're doing okay, but you got to watch for this because this impedes my relationship with you. And I want you to have the fullness of my blessing. So would you get down on your knees and repent? You know lost people don't have this option. You do. You can relieve yourself of the burden. And that, that's just nothing more than a reminder that one day all of our burdens will be released. We won't have to deal with any of this. It's a little peak. Repentance gives us that little peek into heaven, that little peek into the throne room. What is it going to be like for all eternity to be with our Father, with pure love for each other? Repentance. So we should repent, not to the people we're angry with, please, especially those that don't know we were angry. Did you know how angry I was with you? What? <laughs> no, they're angry. We repent to our Father in heaven. Against you I have sinned. And if we don't, we become a prisoner to our own anger. And God's key to that prison cell is repentance. 
So we read in verse 15, just a little bit between the lines here, and see what John is actually saying. It's got to be done in the context of the letter, right? Okay? These false teachers, these false teachers are angry men. They're angry like Cain was angry. They claim to know Christ. They claim to know about Christ, but Christ isn't in them. And when you read just a little bit more carefully and slow, slow down a bit, we see John is saying this. How does a true Christian react to division and anger? They react with love. Love is the imprint of Christ upon us. And it's not only the evidence of our salvation. It is a guarantee, as we heard two passages ago, of our eternal destiny. John's exhortation It's for us to love, to love the way Christ loves. Okay, I got that. Do you have that? You got it? Well, how far does that go? I mean, what what does God expect of me? How much should I love? I mean, we all have our limits, right? Clint Eastwood said, man has to know his limits. That kind of indicates that there are, aren't there? (laughs) How much should we love? It takes us to our second guideline, the extent of love. Verse 16. John just, he doesn't doesn't cut anything short. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. He says, by this, we know love. What does love, godly love, look like? How will we know it when we see it? That he laid down his life for us. Jesus showed us when he went to the cross... In our place, I mean, that's what Scripture says, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Some think, listen carefully to me, please. Because some people think and some people will tell you, oh, he did it all for me. Some people will sing that God didn't want heaven without me. Ooh. It's like God was so desperate to be near us that he sacrificed his son for all that to happen. Is that really what happened on the cross? Look at the rest of verse 16. And we ought to lay down our lives for ourselves. No? What's it say? We ought to lay down our lives for who? Our brothers. Jesus wasn't desperate to be with us. He was showing us the way. He was demonstrating holiness. He was putting his father on display for the entire world to see. Showing us that the road to eternal joy is paved with sacrifice and unconditional love. Showing us how to achieve that. So John develops this, verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? John says, how, how can you love someone if you're not willing to sacrifice for him? That's what love looks like. Isn't that what Jesus did? sacrificed everything out of his love for us, out of God's love for us, not to make us into something special, but to show us how heaven works, how the kingdom of God functions here in this world, to show us the things that we should be doing. 
We're not willing to share our material possessions, our very life for those around us. How will we ever share eternity with them? How many times have I told you? I used to think when I got to heaven, there'd be a big banner, oh, John's here. (laughs) Peter be standing at the gate. What's your favorite music, John? We're all going to sing it for eternity. I have golf clubs and a, a mansion and a sports car and... I will still have my beautiful wife with me. (laughs) I thought heaven was about me. It's not. I used to think the Bible was about me. You know how it's about that. It's about God. If we're not willing to share it here, what's eternity going to look like? If we think it's all about us, which is at the root of all this false teaching these guys are bringing to the church in Turkey. We're going to focus, listen, if we think it's all about us, we're going to focus on being loved rather than being loving. Right? It's all about me. That's not the emphasis of scriptures. And John makes that perfectly clear when he says in verse 18, Little children, let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. See, these errant teachers talk about love. But the division and the tension that they show, so it betrays their hearts. It's all talk and no show. John says the extent of true Christian love is to demonstrate sacrificial outward love, even unto death, not to just talk about it, but to walk it out. So we've seen, these, we've seen these two guidelines for love, the exhortation to love. John keeps repeating himself. Isn't this getting kind of familiar? He keeps on saying the same things, kind of repackaging them, rephrasing them. Uh, so it must be pretty important because I, I don't think John was saying, gee, I've got to say this a bunch of times, God. You, I know you only told it to me once, but I'm going to put it down a bunch of times because I don't think they're listening very well. This is the Holy Spirit inspired this. And he keeps saying it. He keeps saying it because it's hard. It is so hard. See, the, the, the church in Turkey uh, was allowing folks to stir them up, to stoke their anger, to cause division and hate, to cause them to act no different than the way the world was. Because, because that kind of is self-justifying. So they, 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 they ran after these guys. John says the remedy for that, the remedy for all that anger and bitterness and all that division and tension is love, particularly love for each other. Division in the church only stirs up more division. So to prove you're the church, John says, exhibit love. Well, to what extent? How much? Jesus gave everything so that we could exhibit this love. He gave everything so that we wouldn't have to die in our sins and then pay the price. And if you've been with me long enough, you know that he didn't do it to make us happy. He very clearly exhibited the full extent of true godly love, love that would sacrifice, a love that would sacrifice everything for the eternal welfare of others. Of others, not so we could get into heaven, but so they could. 
Tina Turner had a rough life. Incredibly talented woman. Never got the answer to her question. What's love got to do with it? She survived that abusive relationship. Moved to Switzerland. But when it came time to make a statement, she called love a second-hand emotion. Something that goes on the back burner. While it seems that the later years in her life were happy, she never got the chance to experience that all-sacrificing love of a God who gave his only son for her. So what's love got to do with it? Everything. Everything. It's who God is. We need to remember that. Because we're in a time that is so divisive. I watch social media. I see people in the church judging people. Making sure that they know they're wrong. I don't see a lot of love. I see us getting upset over politics. You know, the Romans got upset over politics. You know where they ended up. Greeks did too. So did the Egyptians and the Persians and every other major culture. Don't let that divide us. Don't let that rob us of the opportunity to put God on display. Jesus died so that we could bring this message to the world, to love one another. Oh, there are nuances in there we have to address. We can love without affirming. We can love, hopefully, without judging. We can welcome. We can extend fellowship, mercy, and grace. Why? Because those things have been extended to us. And we show our gratitude to our Father for the salvation that Jesus Christ has given us by hanging on the cross, by being vessels of grace, mercy, and love. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this opportunity we have. And Lord, we confess that we're not always good at this. We, we sometimes drop the ball. Oh, but Lord, you've given us your Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us. You've given us repentance to restore and renew our relationship with you, Father. We pray that we would use them when the time comes, Father, that we would be good representatives, good ambassadors for you here in a world that desperately needs not just love, but hope. May the hope of an eternal home with Jesus Christ flow to us and through us, Father, to those that need to hear that message, John's message of love. And now we pray that you would bless our fellowship, Father, bless the food that we're about to partake, a special blessing on the people who have worked so hard to set this up and prepare it, Father. And we pray that it would be all to your glory, to your honor. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen and amen. We'll be back next week with the next passage in John. Thank you for turning in. Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Would you click on the like button below that little thumbs up? If you're listening on sermon audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. 
We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at WBFVA. We're on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at WBFVA.org. Just click on Giving. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.